the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Paul Spain, and big thank you to our show partners for their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and of the broader New Zealand technology and innovation ecosystems. Thank you to Vocus, Gorilla Technology, Vodafone, Spark, and HP. Great to have James Fuller from Henry joining us. How are you, James? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great privilege to have you on the show. Um, maybe just as we get started, you can give a, a quick intro to uh, to where you fit into this uh, big wide world of tech and startups in New Zealand. Yeah, awesome. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm James Fuller. I'm the, the co-founder and CEO here at Henry. We're an all-in-one accounting service for self-employed sole traders, contractors, and freelancers. And uh, prior to Henry, uh, I've worked as a startup coach, a tech consultant, and way back when I was a software developer until I realized that that was probably not the career for me. Oh, that's funny. Well, uh, yeah, it looks as though you're on a on a pretty good track now, James. So definitely looking forward to to delving in and, and hearing a little bit about um, Henry. Um, we know you've had a, a, a recent um, funding round that uh, raised, uh, was it 16 million New Zealand dollars? Um, yeah, that's right, yeah. And, and um, on a valuation of, was it 100, 100 million? That, that was the post, yeah, just, just yeah. over 100. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. So definitely looking to uh, to, to delving in and, and hearing um, uh, more about Henry. But uh, let, let's jump into some of the uh, news of the day. Um, first up, we've, I guess it's a an ongoing topic um, is the challenge that we have with um, with access to the right sort of digital skills here uh, in New Zealand. And um, I saw uh, RNZ. Uh, Covering this topic, and then this morning was on a um, on a call with uh, with Datacom and uh, with AWS and uh, and a, and a few others, and um, yeah, quite quite fascinating. Sort of you know hearing um, some of the discussions around um, the challenges that we have in terms of um, where we're at from a, uh, a skills perspective, not just in the tech sector, but um, um, but more broadly, um, you know, across across New Zealand business, in terms of this um, this this lacking of uh, um, skills, and in fact, um, with the the discussion uh, and the presentation from AWS and the research that they've recently had done, um, they highlight that we've we've got. Um, Probably uh, a million people in New Zealand that need to uh, need to be upskilling uh, from a digital perspective, um, just you know generally uh, across uh, all different sectors, and then we've got the challenges with um, you know software developers and and people across the tech sector. How's that been playing out for for you, James, in terms of getting access to the right skills? Oh, I think it's something that that you know all businesses are starting to see some impacts from. I think um, at Henry, we're currently going through a real kind of growth phase in terms of our hiring. So particularly on the engineering side, we're doubling the size of our engineering team, and we have to be pretty cognizant that out there we've got a, a number of organisations in Australia and the US that are coming in and competing in the New Zealand market. And so for us, we we sort of had a, a couple of choices, which is either we're going to compete back and we're going to compete on, you know, uh, kind of company culture and perks and remuneration, or we're going to have to be one of those organizations that is not going to be able to do that and is going to have to look for, you know, where is our New Zealand? Where is our other country that we're going to go and, uh, and kind of dip into on a global basis? So it's really interesting to see how different companies are taking different approaches to it. For us, we're we're not seeing a huge impact of, uh, of kind of losing out to people going for overseas companies because of the way we're competing. But I can imagine that if we were maybe earlier on in our journey and didn't have the same kind of uh, kind of um, brand cachet in the market for, for being a great employer, that actually it'd be a lot, lot harder to compete for really good talent. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Um, Greg, Greg 
Davidson, who's um, you know the chief executive at, at Datacom, he uh, he raised the, the the challenge where we're you know starting to not only do we have the sort of limitation of the the number of of skilled people that are available uh, you know in the country for uh, you know for, for tech roles and you know we haven't had people crossing the crossing the border uh, in our direction for a while now you know hopefully that's that's going to change. Um, from a positive perspective, because there's also the the reality that some Kiwis are going to be heading off, uh, you know, over overseas as uh, as you know borders become open, um, more and more open elsewhere. Um, but yeah, he was highlighting the challenge of people that are staying put in New Zealand, uh, but being employed by you know, American or or Australian uh, firms. So uh, you know, very much as a as a global. Um, Global market, isn't it? From uh, from that 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 uh, you know talent and uh, and work perspective. Yeah, yeah, it is, and we're you know we're we're somewhat benefited by the fact that we uh, we have a Sydney office. So we opened our Sydney office kind of early last year. We're kind of serving the Australian market and seeing a lot of growth out there as well. And you know that does mean that we are we are seeing you know Kiwis who are going over to Australia, and because they know of Henry from New Zealand, they're saying, hey, look, you know, really keen to work for Henry, but I want to I want to live and and work in Australia. So we have the the advantage of being able to support that, and and you know love being able to grow that that Australian team as well. But I think also we're sort of, you know, we are aware that there are there are sort of almost sort of a two tier system that's emerging for a lot of roles where there are people who are looking for jobs and they're saying, actually, the only thing I want to do is work from home. And, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to come to a, a communal workplace. I, I'm happier working for fully remote businesses and, and doing so, even if that those sort of time zones are, are different from my other colleagues. And then on the other hand, we have people who. Um, have actually spent some time working from home for long periods during COVID. And they're actually coming out the other side and saying, whilst that was great and that was, you know, for some it was was more productive, they're saying, actually, what I really miss is, you know, going into the office in the morning, talking to the barista downstairs, having social interaction, chatting to my colleagues, you know, playing board games at lunch, you know, those, those kind of things, getting together for, for pizza with the team. And we very much serve that, like that second part. We want to create like really great culture for, for a business where people actually have that flexibility to work from home if they need to, but also want to come in and want to spend time with each other. But I think, you know, businesses are all having to get to a point where they need to kind of pick a road because if you you can't kind of have both, you can't say, well, we want some people can completely be remote and we'll never see them. And, you know, occasionally they'll pop up on when they turn their video on, on, on you know, Google Meet or whatever it is. Uh, but at the same time, we really want office culture. So I think there's a lot of conversations that are happening, which is which path do we want to take? And that very much dictates the, the sorts of uh, candidates that you can attract in the market. Because there are some people who said to us, I had, in fact, we've got a new starter coming in in three weeks um, as part of our platform engineering team. And they said to me, I've been self-employed for maybe three, four years now. And they said, I'm sick of working at home or trying to find places to work. I, I want office culture. I want to come in and spend time with my peers, um, which we just think is fantastic. And we're, we're, sort of, we're, we're all for that track rather than, you know, maybe the other one, which is, okay, we don't kind of care where people live just as long as they come in and they're good worker bees. That's not really our culture. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And and how are you finding that um, that mix in terms of you know from office to home, and you know how often are you finding that people? Uh, I mean, I'm sure this varies across your team, but um, you know how does how does that sort of you know play out in terms of working from home and in the office? You know, some people are saying, well, it's kind of fifty fifty, but it does seem to to vary, a, a, you know, a fair bit. And of course, you know, throw um, Omicron and you know COVID things into the mix and and you know some people are a bit shy um, certainly at the moment to uh, mm -hmm. you know still be in the office as well right yeah we've we've left the choice with with all of our staff particularly at the moment and said if you're if you're not comfortable coming in then that's fine we've got a bunch of people who are working from home so we kind of have a hybrid model going at the moment um, and you know for for the most part I mean we we're we're so flexible as a workforce you know we've got people working. 6.30 till 3. We've got people who are doing, you know, uh, some shorter days because they're doing child pickup. We've got some people doing four day, four and a half day weeks. I think you have to, as an employer, be flexible and open to the fact that like, I mean, we only hire grown-ups, right? So yeah, everyone's responsible adults. Uh, you know, we don't have to worry too much about that. The thing for us is that, you know, particularly with our, with our culture and the way that we work being highly collaborative, 
um, a lot of the things that, that we could be moved so quickly, we want to be able to have people be able to collaborate quickly, not have everything descend into a, a Slack conversation or a, have to be a meeting in order to get decisions made. And so we find that, that a lot of our staff just are more productive when they're together in some way. Um, and so we, we haven't gone down the road of saying, well, actually, you know, let's go for fully remote. Let's employ from anywhere in the world because we just don't think we're quite at that stage as a business where we're still, what, 50 people where actually we're, you know, we have a very kind of uh, sort of a collaborative and close knit culture that that is quite hard to sustain when you're going fully remote and you, you're kind of throwing open the doors to literally employing from from anywhere in any time zone in the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been interesting over you know over a period of years to sort of follow how you know some uh, some tech companies, some startups have a um, you know an approach which means employing people in in you know any location, any time zone, and that that does make it uh, does make it quite challenging in terms of you know how do you build culture, how do you communicate with each other when when you you know you you might be asleep when uh, other people that you're trying to work with are uh, um, are working and vice versa so yeah I think it's going to be really interesting to to see how these things evolve um, you know going forwards but I think you know COVID has certainly uh, changed the changed the picture probably a lot a lot faster uh, for especially for non you know non-tech firms but uh, you know I think across tech businesses as well so um, yeah really interesting yeah. to to get your perspectives and and you know how it's working for you yeah totally I, I think it's really interesting right because i think that um you know we've seen uh, a lot of our staff who and particularly for maybe sort of younger people who are flatting or for people who have children at home it's been quite difficult for them this kind of this push to remote work and a lot of them find it actually quite quite difficult and quite distracting um and so i think it comes down to personal preference like if you want to be someone who wants to be fully remote you you have a you know and i i have a friend in in london for instance who's been fully remote for the last couple of years um he you know he has his home office set up his previous commute was maybe an hour and a half each way um he has no interest in commuting and, and you know he just uh, he said to me he's like i just i'm not going into the city for anything anymore i'm not leaving the house i'm kind of you know particularly with with covid he said, I am here. And if I want to point my laptop at a different business, I can do that very, very quickly. I, you know, I don't have to feel like I'm sort of hamstrung by the business that I work for. And I think whilst, you know, you know, in his particular case, he's he's loving that flexibility of not wanting to feel tied down by an employer or have any allegiance to the employer because he could just literally go, well, it's just another set of faces on a on a Zoom call each day if I want to go and go somewhere else. It does pose an interesting thing for employers, which is actually like, how do you engage uh, when you go down that road to say, cool, fully remote workforce, you know, and I know some businesses here are doing it, but they say, let's go for a fully remote workforce. We don't have to be constrained by hiring within New Zealand. We can go and hire from wherever we're going to get the right skills at whatever price point makes sense for us. You know, how do they then kind of keep uh, that culture, keep that kind of touch point with the employee to the point that they feel connected to what's going on in the organization. And it doesn't just become a, a sort of a transaction for both sides. And I think that's a really interesting challenge, I suppose, that a lot of businesses that are going fully remote and go down that road are coming up against, which is actually how, how, do, you, how do you make sure that it doesn't just become a transaction? Because then you may as well be on Fiverr and Upwork you know, just kind of getting getting contract resource. Why, you know, obviously with the nature of our business being flexible working for, for people who choose to be self-employed, you know, the, the, the sort of the extreme end of the step is actually, you know, starting to say, well, why are we employing people full time? Why not have self-employed sole traders, contractors fulfilling those roles for your business without the need to, to put full time employment in place? So it's a really interesting spectrum and so many different diverse opinions on, on the best way to go. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we, we certainly saw before COVID some of those remote working um, organisations. You know, they would they would be meeting up in person and you know flying to events on one location. But of course, the last couple of years hasn't uh, hasn't made that particularly practical. Um, now on to uh, on to the, the the next topic uh, headline. Um, Caught me uh, article from uh, Rob Rob O'Neill in um, NZ uh, Reseller News um, around uh, Bitcoin miners um, breaching uh, LINs or land information NZ uh, cloud cloud service and um, yeah basically a little bit of a, a crypto 
uh, jacking operation. So, you know, for the, for those that, that don't know, um, in 2022, you can literally print money. Uh, that's, that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, the way crypto is, is generated. You, uh, you put enough computing uh, resource uh, and you can generate some uh, some currency. And so uh, I guess what these folks uh, did was uh, they managed to uh, uh, take hold of some cloud resources there uh, uh, from Linz and, um, um, yeah, used them for uh, for generating some some funds for themselves, which is, uh, yeah, r- rather, um, rather, you know, concerned that this sort of thing is, you know, as a reality, but of course it, it, it's going on all the time. We just don't often uh, hear about it. And, you know, I think it, it, it's just a reminder that you can't sort of relax when it comes to cybersecurity. There's, you know, there's there's always uh, more that can be done to, um, you know, lower the risk profile of, of a given organization, um, you know, whether it's education, whether it's it's processes and and change. But um, you know, it is a it is a an ongoing uh, ongoing journey. And um, you know, whether it's a government department or a small private organization, we kind of have to have to work at this stuff. Um, James, is it something that uh, that creates a, a lot of pressure? Um, you know, within within Henry, I guess you've you've got uh, you know um, your own approach for how you how you stay safe. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a huge thing for us, right? I mean, we're, we're processing in excess of half a billion dollars of payments every year. We're you know we hold personally identifiable information. Uh, we, we're an accountancy first and foremost. We're one of New Zealand's largest specialist accountancies. So the kind of data that we hold is just one part of the kind of security puzzle for us. We have, you know, we have our we kind of take a kind of pretty broad lens and we look at the sort of there's the data security, there's the kind of there's the system side of things. There's even down to the physical security of our of our staff. And you know, particularly where you know in our experience where we've kind of come through what three four capital raises now the risk profile of your business as it becomes larger is so much higher in that people will say okay well that is a target worth trying to attack and so for us it's a it's a continual uh, sense of keeping the highest possible security st- standards you know whether that's uh, you know using external parties to validate security or having a, a, a incredible focus on it internally it's probably one of the the key threads that we we kind of talk to our staff about and we put implemented sort of systems in place for is around security and monitoring. It's just, it's critical. You can't be a a modern digital business in this age without that being probably your number one risk that any investor or staff member or, or, or kind of board member will come to you with is where is the, where is the cyber risk when it comes to here and being able to show your credentials first and foremost and say, look, here is, here is how we operate. And it's, you know, probably in excess of what we need for, for the size of business we are, but you have to show that you take these things really seriously. That's great to hear. Uh, I, I think it is often an area that, that startups can struggle with. And, you know, you talk about that sort of size uh, factor and there's lots of different, you know, considerations in terms of, you know, how how uh, you should you should invest and how much you should focus from a, a cybersecurity perspective. But, uh, yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds really good. Um, now on to uh, sort of international world, but of course all these things have a flow on um, in New Zealand. We uh, we heard about the, the um, Omicron situation in Hong Kong, uh, which of course spilled across the border into uh, Shenzhen, and you know China had uh, we understand been you know really largely uh, you know COVID free and and uh, you know probably one of the few. Other locations that were, uh, you know, following a, um, you know, somewhat similar plan to uh, to New Zealand to uh, to to not have, um, you know, COVID the elimination strategy, um, but of course, uh, COVID is there now and um, uh, spreading, and of course, we're so reliant on China when it comes to uh, technology. Uh, production bit the, the the newest smartphones that are uh, coming through uh, laptops and and computers that we that we need to keep um, you know to keep our organizations operating um, so yeah it was a little little bit worrying hearing that um, but the latest news seems to be that um, um, after sort of locking locking down um, for sort of a, a week or 
or so. Um, we're now in a position where uh, where Shenzhen seems to be uh, um, opening up again, and um, yeah, they've they've basically you know announced a sort of uh, return uh, to work there, and um, you know varying. Um, venues and services are uh, are operating again, albeit sometimes at a sort of fifty percent of of capacity. So, um, reasonably encouraging. Uh, but um, you know, who knows how these things are? You know, what the flow on uh, will be, and you know, of course, there's concerns around um, what's happening in Ukraine and and uh, Russia and and uh, uh, different bits and pieces, and how that 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 impacts as well. And you know, of course, our thoughts are with those in in ukraine um you know pretty hard to get our head around uh what what's going on there the the photos every day just kind of yeah blow, blows my mind um so yeah are you uh are you sort of impacted have you been impacted with some of these sort of supply chain issues um you know i know you you mentioned to me earlier that uh you've been hiring a lot of uh a lot of you know people and Obviously, when when you hire people, you generally need some technology for them to to use. So, you know, how do you work around that? Yeah, for us, it's become all about forward planning uh, as much as you can. Really, um, you know, we're 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 seeing it now that we almost need to be five, six months ahead of ourselves in terms of uh, kind of road mapping the equipment that we need as we grow. Uh, you know, we're just about to uh, potentially take out a lease on a new office in, in Sydney, uh, kind of new sort of 40, 40, 50 person office out there. And you think about the, the, the kit that you need in order to be fitting out an office like that, we probably need to be about six months ahead of ourselves, um, because of the supply chain. So it's, it's, but it's something that a lot of businesses have had to deal with. And I think everyone's very understanding of the, uh, the kind of circumstances around it. It's just, you know, whereas in the past, you could plan, you know, two weeks ahead for a new starter. Suddenly you're six months in the future and you're thinking more about, you know, what, what do you need to do in terms of those lead times? So not a not an insurmountable problem. And, and as you say, there's some 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 far more kind of weighty things going on in the world right now than, than supply chain for some laptops. But it is something that I think everyone's having to think about in terms of, you know, what are those kind of global impacts that we're, we're seeing on a very local basis and sort of have done over the last couple of years, I suppose, in terms of not just tech, but a number of sort of supply chain or kind of knock-on economic effects. There, there are a lot of knock-ons, um, you know, from all of these things. So, you know, we, we do want to be as well um, organised and, and planning ahead as, as well as what we can do. Um, heard quite a, a, some worrying information um, uh, for another thing from Greg Davidson today was um, because Datacom, of course, do a lot of payroll, and uh, he said that uh, I think it was probably this this past uh, week. He said it had been the highest number of defaults uh, that they've seen in payroll. So that means that you know a business that's got their payroll set up to go um, and to pay their people, but actually failing because the um, you know the small the small uh, business has insufficient funds to actually um, you know deliver that payroll to to their staff um, so yeah the I guess these are these are things that are gonna you know gonna keep happening over time um, but you know before we get back to uh, a level of of normality and um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 tough, and you know, I guess for for those of us working, um, you know, in the tech sector, um, you know, to a large degree, things are things are running, you know, in a pretty positive way. But um, that's not necessarily the case across them, you know, right across the rest of the economy. Um, on to uh, another another item that um, that that caught my uh, caught my attention. Um, and this this talks to the the challenges of a of a more uh, tech enabled uh, world that we're in, um, and uh, it relates to a combo AEG combo uh, microwave um, that uh, has become um, unusable after a um, an an update to uh, I guess to these uh, these German products from um, from. AEG sort of went awry. Um, what I read online is it said an employee manually entered a wrong number somewhere, causing an incorrect update. As a result, all combi microwaves of this type no longer work. Um, uh, and uh, this is in the, the the 
Benelux uh, region. So uh, um, Belgium, Luxembourg, and, um, and and Netherlands. I think that covers. Um, yeah, not a not a great position to <laughs> to be in if you're an owner of one of those products, or uh, uh, if you're the person at AEG that accidentally uh, put the wrong number in the wrong uh, box and uh, and and uh, clicked to to roll it out. But we're kind of all at risk, aren't we, from things going wrong with technology? Because you know, there's so many things happening. Whether it's a you know a software vendor where something something breaks and we can't work without that uh, uh, software, or uh, you know down to our our cars and 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 everything else these days. So um, yeah, no doubt there'll be some um, um, some good learning that comes out of that at AEG, shall we say? Um, yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta imagine. Like, well, I think you know, feel sorry for the consumers that are left on the other end of this. But but imagine, I mean, if you're that if you're that individual that rolled out this change, uh, you know, I know it's bad enough. Having been uh, having been someone who back in the early days of Henry managed to nuke our own website uh, while doing some late night changes. Uh, yeah, yeah. The fact this was back in 2017 where we had no traffic and no one was coming to it. Like how bad I felt as to you know the impact that that, that had. But imagine if you're someone who's rolled out this change across the entirety of Benelux and and then it makes the uh, it makes the tech news that that was your that was your change. But I think it's a kind of it's a timely reminder, which is. You know whether it's physical products or, or the kind of software that, that, that goes onto them. It's uh, you know the, the the need for testing, the need for validation, or even the need for you know uh, a lot of things that we do. So we kind of whether we're using beta tests or feature flags, we will deliberately roll something out to a handful of customers to start off with and measure the impact for a week or so before before then going and, and iterating further. This is just a classic example of where. You know, you can release anything to well, probably hundreds of thousands of devices and cause significant impact. Whereas just releasing it to a small hand, handful of beta users first, even for a couple of days, and just checking that everything works as expected, probably not going to take you too much longer from a delivery process. But it's going to avoid some of this maybe uh, not so positive news coverage. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a shocker. And apparently, these some um, ovens um, now, after getting the update, they can't connect to Wi-Fi. Um, because of what the the software updates done to them, um, so they can't just roll out another update. Um, but yeah, apparently that it is something that a, a technician will be able to go on site and actually address. So um, let, let's hope oh, they're well. not. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to flash and flash an oven back to factory. Yeah. Like that's uh, <laughs> that's quite an undertaking. As someone who's had to flash a few devices around the office recently, it's uh, it's not a it's not a fun thing to do. But imagine having to do that to how many thousands of affected devices is yes it's quite a quite a yeah um now for a bit of a blast from the past um COBOL. Uh, now, this is a really old, old school language. I, you know, I think it was is uh, probably one of the the, the languages that um, you know my my dad was uh, was fluent in. Um, you know, decades ago, uh, I tried to learn it at Christchurch Polytech as a as a high school student, and uh, wasn't uh, wasn't very enamoured by um, the so called sort of business language. Um, but uh, yeah, it seems to be getting a bit of a bit of a fresh life. Um, according to the register, it's now 63 years old, um, COBOL, and uh, there seems to be um, a new a new variant available as sort of free open source uh, software, um, which is yeah, is, is kind of fascinating. And um, you know, for those organisations that are that are still relying on it, I guess it uh, you know opens up their options in terms of uh, in terms of how they move forward. I, I would tend to think if you've got COBOL in your organisation, you're probably trying to work out how to get rid of it. Um, but uh, sometimes with with this sort of legacy technology, it, it can take a a long time, which is as you know partly why we see. Um, Ongoing cybersecurity issues and you know in larger organisations that are, that have got so many legacy systems, um, it's not not overnight. So um, yeah, I thought it was was interesting to to be reading um, about uh, yeah basically um, uh, you know free free versions of um, of of COBOL that can be you know run on modern technology. You don't need. Uh, um, you know, some some old school system to uh, to run it. Um, that that hardware in itself can be pretty pricey. 
Is uh, COBOL something you've ever uh, um, had to had to dabble with, James? No, I, I managed to get away with that when I was uh, studying computer science at university. It was, uh, oh, I mean, there was there was lots of gnarly stuff that we we worked with, but um, yeah, it was mostly there was a bunch of Java and, and Perl and a couple of others, but but no COBOL. I managed to uh, managed to avoid that one, lucky. But maybe it's coming back. Maybe we need to to reconsider COBOL and see what uh, see what the, the the new variant. I, I I enjoyed your use of the word variant, by the way, when describing COBOL. I thought that was very uh, yeah very apt. Um, but uh, yeah, no, not something I've had experience with. Yep. Um... Now, I guess just just a bit of there's an, a, a, a story that's come through about Vimeo, and I guess this is just a, a bit of a word of warning, really, in terms of um, you know as we as we pick different sort of technology platforms, you never quite know what what a vendor's gonna going to uh, do, so you have to be a little bit cautious about you know how heavily uh, you know you you commit to uh, you know one bit of technology or another and I, I always think it's really important to be uh, you know quite strategic with a software selection process and uh, you know really try and try and figure out what's going to serve you well in the long term um, of course that that isn't necessarily easy when you're a small business or you know, if you're, um, you know, maybe just a, an individual, an ind- independent, uh, you know, person um, that that has to, you know, commit to different technologies. Um, but yeah, Vimeo, I've been uh, been in the media um, for for uh, basically dropping some huge cost um, increases on uh, on some of their user base who they basically said, well, you're on the top 1%, so uh, we're going to charge you, um, you know, a whole lot more. People having to pay thousands of dollars of, of US, uh, you know, thousands of US dollars um, to uh, to keep going uh, with those uh, with those Vimeo services. And in some cases, uh, you know, these aren't videos that are necessarily getting thousands or, or tens of thousands of views. They might be getting hundreds of views, but, you know, it adds up to enough data. So, yeah, it was interesting, um, yeah, re- reading some coverage of that over the last few days, um, which, which Vimeo have sort of responded to. And, um, you know, they've, they've, they've changed their approach a little bit, but, uh, um, yeah, still probably not going to solve the issue for some folks that have uh, basically, you know, bet on, uh, on Vimeo to, uh, to serve them and, uh, yeah, possibly uh, are going to be quite stuck with uh, how they handle some of their content going forward. Um, I guess you, you know, you would be uh, James in a in a position where you've got to bet on various technologies along the way, and 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 try and make those those strategic, you know, calls that uh, must come up um, on a reasonably regular basis for you. Yeah, it does. It's actually it's a it's a really it's a really big thing, particularly you know we're a relatively young business, four or five years old, so a lot of what we what we bet on early on is you know some of these become kind of medium to long term decisions and so i think you know we've got always got to be conscious of the fact that to a certain extent you're at the mercy of the vendor if they decide to you know amp up their prices and and you know maybe kind of when we've you know we've been been victims of this a few times in the first few years of, of being in business where we've kind of we bet on a particular uh, product because it's been uh, appropriate for our use and and you know the the pricing plan has been uh, been exactly what we needed and then as that company grows or it changes its uh, changes its direction suddenly you find yourself you know uh, three times the cost on a, on a monthly basis and uh, and so we always kind of have a strategy where it's about um, never never trying to become too wedded to a single platform without some sort of look to what are the alternatives, what would the, the opportunity be to go to the alternatives, what would the cost be, and to be constantly challenging ourselves to say, you know, particularly as we grow and we look at our kind of software budget to go, is this the right software for us and our needs and how does it scale with us? And a lot of that is actually as you start to get larger, actually engaging with those organizations, you know, once you come off the the free plan and you start actually paying for a service, actually engaging with them at an early point and starting to understand what their their kind of customer relationship management is like. Like, how do they deal with you as a customer? Are they receptive to questions or or kind of working with you, particularly if you're kind of in that scaling uh, kind of mode of a business and they can see that you're moving quickly? You know, it's really interesting, those organizations that sort of shut the door on their customers and say, well, you might be paying for this service, but you, you can't really speak to any uh, anyone about it. And it's very much, you know, when we look at our own service and the fact that, you know, 
as as an accountant, we we can't not have humans. Like you can't not have people to speak to people. So you know our customers, yeah. they, they can phone up or they can jump on the live chat and they can speak to one of our experts at a moment's notice. You know, if we were to suddenly turn that off one day and go, oh well, that's not part of your plan. You need to pay extra to actually get accounting support. I think there'd just be a revolt. I just think you know, in terms of general fairness and, and kind of and how to you know really make sure that you're providing top-notch customer service, you, you have to be available for someone who is paying money for your service. So for us, it's very much a two-way relationship of starting to understand how do they deal with us as a customer, as a paying customer, what is their roadmap looking like, and trying to develop relationships with your suppliers effectively that allow you just to maybe kind of see what's coming down the line and whether or not they're going to be a good long-term bet. Yeah, it's it's uh, the whole software selection process is is a really interesting one. You know, my team get involved in it, you know, quite regularly, and um, it 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 is always sort of um, uh, a challenge when you come across a decision that's maybe been made before you get plugged in, and um, you know, there's some pretty key things that haven't been uh, uh, haven't been considered that are really relevant in an individual you know scenario. Um, because often, you know, if, often if you you do raise you know varying queries up front, um, you know, you can you can get the clarity that you need, or you can get an agreement to, uh, you know, maybe be a bit flexible, um, you know, even if it's a big, a big vendor, uh, often there's some flexibility if you say, look, you know, from a security practice uh, perspective, we need single sign-in or, you know, we need a slightly different mix than, you know, what you're offering, or we need to know that your prices aren't going to, aren't going to, you know, skyrocket, and um, you can get those things sort of committed to. But uh, um, yeah, do, doesn't always happen. No, you? and it can easily get yeah. it can easily go wrong. I mean, I remember when I was back when I was a, a tech consultant many years ago, and we were working at a uh, I'll just call them a, a large SaaS vendor, and uh, and they were choosing a new uh, a new VoIP platform to integrate with their CRM, and they mm-hmm. you know they did all the right things in terms of they had a quite a lean process of sort of balanced scorecard, assessing different vendors against different, uh, you know, different lenses, you know, whether it's scalability or kind of feature set or pricing. And they they were running a very quick process, which I think was positive. But uh, in the end, uh, whilst there was a room of people that I think five out of six of them all decided one way, the most senior person in the room said, nope, we're going this way and decided based on personal preference that this was the strategic tool for them. And uh, yeah, ironically, uh, and unsurprisingly, I think within about three weeks of switching it on, performance issues, feature issues, and they had to literally pull the whole thing out. And they, they said at the time they chalked it up to, well, sometimes when you move quickly, you know, you move fast, break things. But it, it was really kind of a, an absence of rigor, even at the, the basic sense that, that kind of led it there. So, you know, taking that as a lesson, you know, the recommendation to everyone is even if you're running a very very basic process and you're doing something quite light touch you've got to have some sense of rigor of are these people that we can see ourselves scaling with as our business grows or even can we see them you know engaging with us and supporting us as uh, even if our business isn't growing at a, at a kind of split scaling basis so i think it's it's uh, it just it shows the dangers of what can happen when you you don't look at that strategic view and then potentially you end up in bed with a vendor who uh, rapidly changes their pricing model and, and leaves you scrabbling to find an alternative yeah, yeah. I remember uh, chatting to, uh, you know, Mark Rees, uh, uh, Chief Technology Officer at Zero last year, and, you know, he spent a, a good chunk of his time before he stepped into the CTO role, uh, you know, migrating Zero from Rackspace to uh, um, to AWS, you know, it was, it was just such a huge thing. So, um, you know, I'm not sure what the situation was in, 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 in their case. Sometimes it's absolutely, you know, necessary and you, could, you don't have any – you know, foresight, um, and you just made the best decision possible at a given time. But uh, yeah, you certainly want to do the best you can to uh, to get these things uh, as as right as you possibly can uh, can do. Before we jump in and, and hear about Henry, uh, I see um, the uh, the James Webb uh, Space Telescope uh, from NASA is is all online, and um, yeah, we're starting to see uh, see imagery coming coming through, which is uh, uh, is pretty pretty pleasing. There's a you know very very long term um, project, and uh, yeah, pretty pretty exciting to uh, to see it sort of come to. Uh, uh, come to fruition. So uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's the next the next space uh, phase of sort of um, you know technology for for looking out into the great beyond. It's pretty cool. Um, 
James, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about where uh, maybe a, a bit of a background on um, you know how Henry started and and what it is that uh, that that Henry does uh, for those that uh, um, you know aren't aren't aware. Although I've been driving by uh, Henry billboards on the way to work recently, so uh, um, yeah. You know, I guess getting out there a bit more publicly than uh, maybe maybe what you have done um, previously is are you sort of scaling up your uh, your marketing and advertising? Yeah, yeah, we, we are at the moment. So uh, yeah, the the most recent funding round, a lot of that is is really uh, is really kind of growth spending. But um, yeah, I mean, H- Henry was kind of born out of personal pain uh, back a few years ago when my co-founder and I became uh, self-employed. We just went for roles that were having to be contract contracts. I was doing some user experience work at one of the banks and Claire was working in government. And we were just blown away by the amount of financial admin that contractors and freelancers are subjected to. This kind of idea that, you know, you have to go and, uh, you know, get an old school accountant and, and register a company and then go and uh, get trained how to use this kind of over overcomplicated accounting software when really you're, you're just there to do a job. You're not trying to, you know, grow a small enterprise. And so um, we, we actually just started with a couple of spreadsheets just to, to make our lives easier. And, and once we told some friends and they told some friends, we, we realized that actually this was a genuine problem that people have, which is, number one, not knowing how much money is theirs and how much money they should be putting aside for tax. And number two, the, the, the sort of industry was very much set up against the sole trader and, and very much promoting this idea of overcomplicating yourself by kind of adding in all of this additional effort. Um, so, yeah, so Henry, in a nutshell, is uh, we, we talk about it being three things, um, the first of which it's uh, it's uh, a unique bank account that everyone gets when they sign up. And, and every time they get paid, we, we calculate, deduct and pay all of their taxes. And then we lodge and lodge all their taxes as their accountant. Um, and the second thing we do, we provide like right sized web and mobile apps for uh, for sole traders, for freelancers. So they can do things like invoicing and raise their expenses for us to review. And uh, they can set financial plans and go and get access to loans and mortgages, which has been a big pain point for the sole trader community. And then the third thing is, as we kind of touched on earlier, is kind of having expert support. So Henry is one of New Zealand's largest specialist accountancies and, and our team is, is basically on hand to help sole traders and contractors and freelancers get the most out of being a sole trader, whether that's talking about what you might be able to claim as expenses or giving information around COVID support and resurgence payments. Um, so effectively, we've, we've sort of taken an approach which is around providing a really high quality service to, to sole traders, both here in New Zealand as well as uh, in Australia. Um, and yeah, so we've, we've seen some fantastic growth in the last few years. Most recently, I think last 18 months, we've grown about 500%. Um, so really starting wow. to scale very quickly. And uh, so we just in our most recent funding round, well, very late last year, we just announced earlier this year, we, we raised uh, $16 million from a US venture fund uh, called Left Lane. Uh, and and they, uh, they've they heavily invested the business just purely because of the growth trajectory. And we, we love them from the networks that they bring from a global perspective. They've got a fantastic portfolio alongside our existing investors, such as EVP and Icehouse and, and Angel HQ. So yeah, it's been a really exciting, exciting few years, and we sort of we're at this point now where, having achieved such a strong product market fit, we're actually able to being large enough really start to to influence some of the conversation uh, in New Zealand around sole traders. And and very recently, as of I think last Monday, released the latest edition of what we call the Sole Trader Pulse, which is our sort of independently run survey of the sole trader community in New Zealand, and then we do a separate one in in Australia, which is a kind of fascinating look at what sole traders are up against at the moment and and you know some really interesting stats there in terms of you know the the average uh your average tradie that's not using henry is is spending upwards of uh, 14 hours a week on their financial admin uh and so you sort of you start to work out that you know the traditional model of old school accountant plus small enterprise software it's actually costing the new zealand economy about 3.2 billion dollars every year in lost productivity and you, st- you know, you look at what we're doing and the savings that we make for people, both financially from a mental angst perspective, as well as from a time saving perspective. And it's actually just a really exciting journey to be a part of where you're actually really bringing genuine change to people who are crying out like some of these some of these trades, 14 hours a week. I mean, I don't know how long you're spending on financial admin, Paul, but 14 hours a week is a, that's an eye watering amount of time to just be. I don't know, reconciling transactions like I don't know what, what the guys are doing, but it, it sounds like it's a lot of work. 
Yeah, it does. And I, I um, you know, don't don't have that that challenge uh, these days with being a sole trader. But I do remember being in the UK um, quite a few years ago, actually. And uh, and and I I did some contract work there for um, uh, for you know one of the big banks and the the entity that I went through I can't remember how much you know what percentage they took um, of what I was earning but it was you know I think it was a it was a reasonably big chunk. Um, how does your model work? Because you operate on a percentage basis that is. It's very, very simple, isn't it? Um, yeah, tell so, us about that, and and do you think you'll be able to stick to the the simplicity that you've set it at? Um, you know, for the company's future. Oh, I mean, I mean, first of all, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think the 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 price point we just think we're we're very big on fairness as a business. It's something that drives us quite a lot, and we we charge on a percentage of income basis. So for sole traders, we charge one percent of their sole trader income, their self employed income, and that's up to a cap. So if you're a high earner and you earn over $150,000 a year, your, your, your fees will max out at $1,500 uh, across the entire year. And for that, you get unlimited uh, all of your taxes filed. So that's your income tax, your GST. You get unlimited use of our app, of our expert support. So we're sort of rolling everything all into one. And you, you kind of, someone said to me the other day, kind of what's the what's the equivalent? Like what's the competitor that you're, you're kind of um, disrupting here? And, and it's really that combination of, you know, old school accountant, small enterprise accounting software, you're probably running a couple of spreadsheets, you've got a business bank account, you might be paying for payment gateways like Stripe or PayPal. Um, and, and you know, that whole idea, and then you, you kind of whatever, you know, incidental costs of additional accounting support from professional services that you might not get from your, your existing provider. And you ball all that up. And it's no surprise that you see sole traders spending ten, eleven thousand $11,000 a year uh, in cumulative cost for all of these different services. So for us, it's very much about being able to say, look, this is a sense of fairness here by a 1% pricing model. And it, it's pay as you go, which means you can still get access to the service. If you have a quiet month as a sole trader, you can still ring up, you can still use the service. You're still, you know, you're getting the benefit because we know we're, we're kind of big investors in people. So we know that you're a sole trader, you're self-employed, you're a freelancer. We know that, that you're not always going to get paid every month. But that doesn't mean that we cut you off from financial services. Oh, no, you're, you're not able to get any any help. We're not going to like give you any technical support. It's very much about providing a service that says, look, this is pay as you go, because that's how sole trading works. That's how contracting works. You know, your whole world is pay as you go. And mostly because I, you know, Claire and I are, are not big fans of subscription models. I think, you know, we've both been in the position in the past where, you know, you get that impetus in January to join a gym. And then you go along and you're like on a $30 a month monthly you know, contract or whatever. And after two months, you drop off the face of the earth. And then you can't be bothered going in and having that awkward conversation. So you end up having this charitable donation of $25, $30 a month to the gym. Like for us, subscription models were just painful experiences. So pay as you go just seems like a fair and sensible model that we're yeah, very committed to, to kind of um, to continuing as we scale, particularly as you know, what we've shown is that actually it's uh, seven or eight times cheaper than the alternative and, and brings about a whole bunch of kind of more positive uh, kind of uh, mental satisfaction and job satisfaction, knowing that people can get on with what they enjoy doing rather than having to worry about tax payments and filings, which, you know, I'll be the first to admit that's super dreary. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm in, in agreement there. Even though uh, at at school at one point I thought I wanted to become an accountant, but uh, um, I soon found technology. Um, now, with this recent funding, uh, you know, coming in, that's um, led to a situation where you need to hire um, a lot more people. What does that uh, What does that look like in terms of you know your scale, people wise, and and what opportunities do you see that um, that creating? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fascinating thing. I don't think I've ever been part of a process where we've tried to hire literally double the size of the business in, in a handful of months. So we're hiring across uh, engineering, across product, sales and marketing, operations. Um, and it, it's really exciting. It's actually one of those where I think condensing it into a short space of time is actually quite energizing when, when you're having interviews with people and you're telling the story. And obviously you can tell I get super excited about our journey here, but telling the story of Henry and seeing people going away, really excited about the opportunity of working with a high performing team. It's actually, this, it's, you know, it's a very energizing experience. Um, 
obviously we're, we're you know as we were talking about earlier there's there's certain sort of challenges that we see that we've got to overcome when it comes to attracting people from uh, who are kind of getting uh, getting competition from overseas companies but what we find is actually being a fast growing kiwi company that is looking locally at, at bringing resources in there's a certain amount of uh, kind of cachet that we get from the recruitment market where actually every day people are contacting us and saying, hey, I'm just really excited about the journey. I, I want to have an opportunity to work at Henry. And we're very much of the opinion that with smart people, you can uh, you, you can kind of fit smart people into your organization without having to pigeonhole them into a specific role. So we would always encourage people that they're if they're excited about the journey, they want to help people, they want to join a business that is scaling incredibly quickly. Um, you know, check out our careers page, come and put your CV in the mix. We will consider all comers. It's very much an opportunity for people to come and be part of a, you know, really big kind of Kiwi success story. Cool. That's neat. Um, anything else you want to add before we uh, before we finish up? I'm certainly hoping we'll get a chance to sit down with you, um, you know, again in, in, in the future um, to maybe do a sort of a, a full uh, deep dive into uh, into the the Henry story, um, but it's been great to get a little a little overview um, today, James. No, absolute pleasure, and thank you so much for having me on. Um, really appreciate it. It's been fantastic to chat. Great, thanks, James, and thanks everyone for listening into the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We'll of course be back again uh, next week, and uh, heads up to uh, um, you know look at, look out for Henry um, and follow them across their you know social platforms if uh, if you're interested in uh, in what Henry's up to. Uh, that's H N R Y um, is what you need to search for, um, and of course for NZ Tech Podcast and myself, um, you know you can find me across. Um, those social platforms and most weeks uh, these days we are stream streaming live so uh, if you do follow across whether it's you know LinkedIn YouTube um, Facebook or, or Twitter um, you know we tend to end up on uh, um, on most of those with a with a live stream as well if you if you like to listen in live um, otherwise through your usual uh, podcast apps um, James if anyone wants to get in touch what's the best way of uh, of connecting? Oh, just just at Henry on social media, HNRY, uh, our team more than happy to, to help or just go to henry.co.nz, come and chat to one of our team. It's not robots, it's real people. And uh, yeah, everyone loves solving problems and answering people's questions. So don't be a stranger. Well, thanks everyone for listening in uh, once again. And a big thank you, of course, to our show partners as well for their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and of the technology and, and innovation ecosystems here uh, in New Zealand. So thank you, Gorilla Technology, Vodafone, HP, Spark, and Focus. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.